Ten years ago, I interviewed 100 fascinating people and documented their stories in a two-volume book series. Today, my journey continues. I'll be engaging with captivating guests, having candid, meaningful, and uncensored discussion as I aim to reveal the passion that comes from within, unlocking the mysteries needed to make purposeful change. My objective is to be a connector and enlighten listeners through stories of struggle and success, heartache and inspiration, offering solutions to challenges we face each and every day. This is a broadcast of real people, real stories, and real conversation. Everyone has a story. My job is to ensure their stories are told. My name is Roger Brooks, inspired by Brian Rose of London Real and the London Real Academy and the Broadcast Yourself Accelerator course, I now bring you American Real. On this episode of American Real, we bring you an incredible conversation with singer and songwriter Bess Greenberg, discussing topics like passion, determination, perseverance, and Bess's love of basketball, her perfection of rhythm, and how that brought her full circle to follow her dreams to pursue her love of music. Bess talks about her parents, her brothers, and her upbringing, as well as her incredible experience overseas playing women's professional basketball. As you'll see, Bess certainly knows how to navigate the blind side. Now, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel, American Real TV. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Bess Greenberg. Bess Greenberg, welcome to American Real. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Um, look, wherever I go today, uh, whether I'm out at a restaurant or in, in the hair salon or whatever it may be, uh, people are very familiar with you. I mean, you're, you're really starting to make uh, an impact, um, not only our, our, on our community, but, uh, but beyond. And just curious, um, what do you attribute this early success to? Um, it's, well, I, well, I do see it as a, as a piece of things feeling successful because I'm able to play out a lot, things like that. Um, it's hard for me to, to see it from that side um, because I'm just in the inside of it trying to get better at what I'm doing and um, staying present with it day by day, gig by gig, song by song. Um, and I think because I'm so in love with creating music that it keeps me in that spot. Um, so to answer your question, maybe, I guess because I really love what I'm doing, it keeps me focused on it and my heart's really in it. And then that has hopeful effect um, because of that. Sure, sure. And I know you were in Pittsburgh last week. You were in Syracuse last night. You're going back tonight. Yeah. Um, it seems like you've really found your passion. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, of uh, different things to find passion in. And I have, I have found passion in different ways throughout my life. 
Um, but I'm fully, fully into music and musical expression right now, for sure. And we'll, we'll definitely get more into that as, as uh, the time goes on here. But um, would love to go back to your childhood. You know, it seems fascinating just what I've, what I've read um, and the few folks that I was able to talk to that, that have some relationship with your family. But um, you were born into a basketball family. I mean, that's, that's really neat. Uh, your father being a coach, uh, yeah. three older brothers. Um, tell us about your upbringing and, and really how that has shaped who you are today. Um, we were definitely a basketball family. Um, from gym to gym to gym to gym to gym. And um, music was also present in our life. Uh, my mother... She grew up in California and was a hippie, a singer-songwriter out there. Um, and my father grew up in Brooklyn and was basketball boy. And um, when they ended up having four children, both were influences in our lives in terms of music for my mother and basketball for my father. Um, but our childhood was dominated by the fact that we were going and playing all these games all the time. Um, and it was amazing. My three older brothers, I was, uh, I still am in a lot of ways, but definitely I was a little tomboy and was a little scrapper and just trying to keep up with everybody else. And um, I was really fortunate. We had a lot of, still do, but a very loving family and really competitive, but very fun. My father is like a, a big kid, uh, genuinely. He just, he's really happy when other people are happy and he loves it when people are happy playing basketball. Okay. It's like magic. So we grew up with that really strong influence as far, far as sports goes. Um, and that was, a, that was a really beautiful avenue to, to build a foundation. Sports is a nice, bubble of sorts you know, and a really strong metaphor for the rest of experiencing uh, life and pursuing whatever you want to do so in terms of looking back at my childhood knowing that basketball was such a, a focus for so many years I'm really grateful for that because it was a safe way to develop a lot of things that go well beyond the lines of the basketball court and have carried me into other pursuits um, so that I'm, I'm really grateful for, for sure. Absolutely. And um, explain how basketball has helped you develop a sense of rhythm. Uh, I know you've, you've talked about that in the past. For people that may not know what that means, what do you mean by that? Um, well, rhythm's something really important to me. And I, there's different ways to approach the idea of rhythm, I think. There's one real specific sense of being in time and in a beat um, and controlling time. Uh, in basketball, um, I ended up having a lot of knee surgeries at, starting at a very young age. I had the first one when I was in eighth grade. And it put me back, I, don't, I think I was out about a year if, from eighth to ninth grade. Um, and I kept having to have these surgeries. But because I couldn't practice, I then started to dribble on the sideline at practice and do two ball drills and 
just trying to control the rhythm of the basketball. Um, if you put that into the context of actually playing the game, being able to control a basketball and uh, control the rhythm of how you are trying to manipulate a defender using a basketball and changing rhythm, um, that was a pretty amazing thing to be able to control more and more. Because it wasn't that I was the fastest or strongest player on the court, but I uh, found a lot of success because I could control the rhythm in one way with the basketball. The other way is the idea of flow and rhythm and being able to um, tap into uh, the flow on the basketball court in, in terms of this, the tempo changes and when to move things and making those decisions so that you could best steer it the way that you want. Um, so they're different different applications of rhythm, but I think both of them um, I spent a lot of time developing within the context of, of sport and on the basketball court, but um, those are very applicable to playing music now, for example. You could see those relationships also. So Sure. And do you think at that time, when say 8th, ninth grade, 10th grade, were you aware of what you were doing? Were you aware that this was rhythm? Were you aware that when you did get back on the court, that now you may have developed a better sense of the tempo of the game and the passes, the you know, the, the jump shots, whatever it may be, within that rhythm? Um, I think now, because I can look back on it, I have, I can draw the relationship to how it relates to other things in, the, in life. Um, but yes, at that time I knew I was practicing dribbling for a reason so that I could gain better control over circumstance and moment and better confidence to be able to control time and do what I wanted with that. Um, and as far as the flow of a game and tempo, I think it that is a lot trusting your intuition and then understanding it as you trust it so your decision making why you're making those decisions if that leads to what your results are what you really want your results to be so that one's a little more complicated I can't say that I was completely aware but I could feel it growing and getting better and when it felt good and when it didn't right and why I could learn and grow and change from that so that's very interesting what were your biggest strengths as a player um, well, I think those two things were my biggest strength. Like, if, if I wasn't as, if I hadn't been injured mm -hmm. to really work on my ball handling as much, I think that ended up being one of my biggest weapons um, because it helped me be able to control more in difficult situations and under pressure and still make things happen and be spontaneous with it, which taps into... Uh, controlling the tempo of a game and being a leader on the floor and um, trying to get a big wave to build and get momentum. I would say those were the, the biggest things that I brought to a team. And, um, you know, taking us back to that time, were you um, goal-oriented as far as wanting to play basketball in college. Was that yes. was that a big goal? Absolutely. Okay. I 
yes, love. I still love basketball. I mean, it was, I'm so grateful that I, at such a young age, had something to be that passionate about genuinely. Um, and, you know, I played till I was 26 or 27, completely consumed by it. Interested in other things, but loving putting my energy and focus into basketball and what that brought and how I grew by doing that. Sure. No, and I would love to learn a little bit more about that as well, yeah. uh, because I know you played overseas. But before we get there, can you talk a little bit about um, having the older brothers, um, that competitive nature, how that makes a young girl tough, and what that you know what did that do as well as um, having that balance of your mom being a musician, your dad being a coach. I mean, you had a really, sounds like a really good base um, within the household to help you thrive. Yeah, I um, had a very fortunate upbringing with, with a lot of love and support in dynamic ways. Um, my three older brothers, um, they're my favorite, you know. Uh, they're very different, and I'm a combination of all of them. I see it that way. I'm not sure what they would say, but I definitely see it that way. Um, and what are some of their traits? Um, Jed, the middle one, he's a real free spirit. Um, he also had a, a strong, he's a wonderful musician and brought a lot of those experiences into my life at a young age. When he was, he's six years older than me. And, um, so he was doing a lot of musical things and older than me while I was playing basketball. And he would, come on, come to this. And I would stay up all night while him and his friends were playing music and I'd be right there. And, um, they've all, and, my eldest brother Jeremy in the in the same way he was making a film and I was studying in school and he come come on up here kid and I would be you know right there next to them while they were having these amazing experiences um, and Ben my brother Ben the same way he's um, he's I would say the the tougher business-minded one uh, and He's, he's got an incredible focus when it, when it comes to making things happen and putting parts together. Um, and I've been around him and talked about all sorts of things and the approach to, to put things together in that way. And, and he's been the same way, very inclusive to share their profound experiences with me. And that's more as, yeah, I'm speaking of that as I've been growing up and at different places to them, you know, where I'd be really curious and not knowing what I was doing and didn't have a necessary, um, I'm just interested in that. And they would say, come, be here, feel this. This is what it's like to be as close as you can. You know? um, but beyond that, I can't imagine how they really see me. You know, I'm, I realized a couple of years ago that when I see them, I'm like, 
Jed, hey, you look so cute. And Jeremy, you look so handsome. Ben, oh. And I get this like girlish heart flutter. They don't do that with each other. You know, I like started to realize how I'm a little, it's obvious that as a sister, I'm different, but I never really felt different. So it's harder for me to see those things. They just, you know, they shoved me around as a little kid, just like they, as a little sister, just like they did with each other. And they love me the same way and, and respect me the same way. And, um, I can't imagine who I'd be without those guys around. You know, it's great. Yeah. And there's an important lesson in there, right? Is, uh, as I see it, that, you know, a lot of times as adults with our children or, you know, older siblings, we tend to want to, you know, get away from, from the younger ones and, you know, it's a waste of, of time or you're in the way or whatever. But I think that's great that all three of them took the time to make sure you were included Always. and that helped shape Always. who you are. Yeah. That's great. Always. On the basketball court too. <laughs> they did also. Were, were they were they shoving you around and oh, making course. you work hard? Of course. We still we still uh, we get out on the court every once in a while and uh, I like to I let everyone likes I like to bring up the last time that I think didn't we play that time? I think <laughs> I think I won that time, Jerry, right? I think so. It's fun. That's good. We're good trash talkers with to each other. Sure. And then there was a family band. So tell us about that. You were six years old. Yeah. And you're going around to coffee shops? What's what's happening? At yeah. That, that um my mother uh was a wonderful musician and so growing up she would um play guitar and, and sing songs and um, we ended up having her, my grandfather, my mother's uh, father's name was uh, Bud. So we had a, a little family band called Buddy's Band. He had passed. Um, and so we would, you know, play songs at home. I, I was five, six, and I sang and was pretty... I probably <laughs> less inhibited than I am now. Sure. And um, my brother Jed played the piano. Um, Jeremy played harmonica. <laughs> ben flexed his muscles. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, but yeah, we would practice at home and sing songs, and we played at the Cranberry Coffee House on Riverside. Um, drive the Unitarian Church in the back. They would have, um, I, they still do actually, I saw. Um, but when I was real small, we would go down there and play. And we did a performance at my school one day. My mom came in with me and had an assembly. Um, yeah, Buddy's band didn't, I guess it never broke up, but we haven't had a show in a long time. <laughs> it's something you may need to do. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, but basketball, you took ultra serious. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about you know getting through high school. So, so you played at Vestal, yeah. uh, and, and then you went on to college. Did you have options of where to go? Did you have um, different it's, offers? Yeah. The, um, the last three that I narrowed it down to was uh, Binghamton and University of Delaware and Cornell. Those were the last. 
that's where I ended up having my last three options to be because I thought they were each representing something a little bit different that I was interested in trying to figure out what my priorities were at that point. And why Binghamton? It had all the priorities that I wanted. felt like it was the right balance for me. Um, I felt so comfortable there. Um, I loved the fact that the academics were really strong. And when I was on campus, I could feel that. I could feel going around, you know, as visiting. Um, I could I could feel that kids talking to people, there was an energy towards wanting to learn um, that I had visited other schools and, di and didn't have that feeling. You know, you could, um, talking to some of the students seemed a little, had other priorities. Um, so I like that because I, li I wanted to be in a challenging academic environment as well as a supportive and challenging basketball environment. And those two were a real Bingham that fell in Binghamton. And it, and it was nice to stay close to where I grew up, but have a brand new experience within the same community, you know, just expand it a little bit. I grew up seven miles away from Binghamton campus, um, but then moving to campus and starting a life there, playing basketball and going to school, my life was completely different. So um, I love that, you know. I felt like I was far away, but I wasn't and had a lot of really amazing support. And I was very fortunate for my time at Binghamton, for sure. So you excelled academically, you excelled athletically, and you graduate and decide to continue with basketball. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, I had uh, been given some opportunities to consider playing in uh, Israel at that point. Um, some people had reached out to me. I was considering it, was going to do it, but there was, at that age, I was 21, and I hadn't traveled alone before, and things were very volatile at that time in Israel, and I didn't know how I felt about going there at that time on my own. Uh, serendipitously, somebody had reached out to me to see if I would be interested in playing in Denmark. The thing about that was that my brother Jed, years before, and my brother Ben had, had traveled in Europe and played music on the streets. When they returned from that trip, my brother Jed said to me, you will love Denmark. Like he, and that always left a really strong impression on me. He always thought that it was, would be a place that I would enjoy going to. So when things ended up years later, I'm looking to go play basketball abroad and someone reached out to me about playing in Denmark. I couldn't believe it. Um, and decided that was where I, where I really wanted to go. Um, and I ended up staying there for five years. Incredible. And then from, from, well, first tell us about Denmark. What, what was that experience like? Um, I think I tend to uh, romanticize it a little bit, but for me to go over there, I really distinctly remember within the first couple weeks of being there. I, I also, I traveled on, um, when I moved over there, I was traveling on September uh, 11th. 
in 2001 out of New York. So I had a very unique experience arriving in Denmark for the first time my three brothers had dropped me off at the airport. I spent the weekend with them and I arrived in Denmark and get off the plane and go out and everybody was around TV screens. And I'm like, what's going on? And I go up and I see the visuals of what had happened, but I was in the air when it happened. And so I was in shock and removed from my family for the first time in that way and removed from the United States for the first time in that way. Um, so that was a really unique perspective to, to have, to not be on home, in my home environment when something of that gravity was was happening. Um, I do remember distinctly within the first couple weeks that I was there and walking home late from a teammate's apartment through Copenhagen and not feeling any sense of fear. And I didn't know that I had felt fear until I had the experience of not having it. Um, and that's, you could say that I was romanticizing it. It was so new to me. It just felt safe because I, but it was an important thing for me to feel. And that was a, a consistent feeling for me there. Um, there, the sense of community there and, and how people relate to each other and the, the overall, the, the overall way that the community interacts and the feeling you go about on how they prioritize things and the way they treat each other um, and express themselves, I found it to be uh, really comforting. You know, like, um, I loved it there. Very cozy. No, that's remarkable. Yeah. I, um, I, I just wonder, as an American, obviously, the people you were with knew you were American. I'm sure as you went out, people... Were they supportive as far as what was happening um, in very, the United States? They were very supportive, but I was also... Um, I also could see how they talked about certain things about Americans. And I could also start to see that. I remember walking, you could, you know, walking down the main walking street in Copenhagen with lots of people shopping, having dinners and everything. And the Americans stood out. They tended to be the ones that were talking the loudest. And it, it, it was very consistent. And it was kind of, you know, somehow the Americans seemed to be making bigger scenes as they walked through the streets. And I could, I could see that, you know. I was like, oh, there's <laughs> um, maybe a little bit less of a less humble approach and I, without it, I'm not saying that as a, I think there's good things and negative things about it, but it was interesting to have that perspective and that um, bravado isn't, doesn't make you stronger um, or more protected um, from injury or um, make you less likely to be hurt by something. Um, so, and I only say that because I was making the comparison of Americans coming down sure. the street and being louder. And, um, so I think that was some of the discussion that the Danes, that I was taking notice about what 
Danes were noticing about Americans a little bit. Um, and that was an in- great thing to see. You know, yeah, no, that's thought. what I was just going to say, especially at, at that young age. Yeah. To be able to witness that so you could see what not to do, right? Right. I was like, <laughs> wait, okay, I see that. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty, you know. Um, I don't like to say typical anything, you know. I, I right. do think everybody... But I, I could understand Danes to be like, oh, that's typical American, or mm-hmm. you know, and I could, I could, see, and they say it with a smile, very much respect for Americans. Um, but I, those had strong impressions on me, and I could very much see it also. You know? um, so yeah. So you spent five good years in in, in Denmark. Yeah, I think it was five years. And yeah. then you moved to to Israel. To Israel. So tell us about Israel. That's. For me, Israel is, um, you know, a dream. I, I, that's one place yeah. I will go at some point, uh, hopefully yeah. soon. Uh, but I know you really got into photography there. Um, you went to Jerusalem, and it seems like you had a pretty special experience and connection with, with the, old, the old city. I definitely did. Um... I was there, you know, playing basketball, but surrounded by so much contrast. I was, it really drove me inside to want to start working with images and photography in another way. Because I started to see elements put together that were, that felt so profound for me that it, I wanted to create that. I wanted to express something because I was feeling something so strong there. And photography seemed like a way to do that. Um, I was living in a city called Ramat Hasharon and, and playing basketball there. And that was about an hour from Jerusalem. Um, so I would wake and drive to Jerusalem and spend the morning really early uh, photographing um, and then I would come back in the afternoon and go to the gym and go to practice And but I spent a lot of my time by myself taking photographs and traveling and there it was within the old city itself because of the way of uh, the architecture and the alleys and things so condensed and close to each other there was amazing light and that was a playground for me also to be able to explore light and photography and how that was my first diving into it. So that was very fortunate. I mean, what a what a playground. The old city and all of the no contrast and meaning and light and so that was a beautiful palette to get to explore for for a real nice period of time. And at this point this was, photography was a hobby, correct? Yeah, I was really passionate about it, and I had reached out to um, a Danish photographer while I was over there, and um, he was, I would send him some of my images, and he would give me feedback um, as a way to help for me. I was taking it seriously, but I was trying to develop a a dynamic where I could get better, because I didn't, it was my first, first dipping into it, so I sought out some people who could mentor me in ways while I was playing. That's great. So you build up a portfolio 
uh, of, yeah. of these photographs. Um, you're still playing basketball. How long does your basketball career go for at this point? Um, I, that year in Israel was the last year that I played. So I had been, I think it was five years in Denmark and one in Israel. And was that by choice or is that at that point you're... you're Why I decided to stop? I fell in love with photography and it was time. Um, And I I applied for a school in New York City, um, the International Center of Photography, with, uh, with the work that I had done in Israel. And then I applied for a, a scholarship through the Jack Kent Cook Foundation. Um, and I remember, I remember I, oh, this is a crazy story. I had the Jack Kent Cook Foundation scholarship application was 13 essays. And I had worked for you know, weeks on it once I, I had found it online. I'd worked for weeks on it. I'm in Israel working on it. I think we had a game in Italy. I remember being like in the hotel, like working and trying to fax it there. And I ended up the day that the night before that it was due that I had to fax it over there. I went to the coach's office to print it out so I could work on it. And it was in Hebrew, their screen, which I don't read. Okay. And I pressed save on a blank document and I erased my 13 essays the night before <laughs> I needed to fax it to them. So what did you do? I, uh, I made a phone call to someone that I was really close with in Denmark and he was a rock for me and it's like you can what you want if you got this scholarship would you do it I said absolutely he's like you can do it and I ended, and I did and I ended up getting that scholarship and and uh, getting accepted to the school so in a moment I could have really easily said ah, what are the odds I'm gonna get that scholarship and get into the school whatever but I um, I'm real glad he was there to support me on that, and I I don't know what I did. <laughs> I wow. just pushed through it. And, um, and then when I got uh, the funding and got accepted to school, I, I left Israel, and momentum had carried me into the next passion, and it was time. That's an incredible story. I, you know, I've had similar things happen, not... To that extent, I mean, thirteen essays—that's that's remarkable. But I see a pattern here uh, with you, with with your uh, drive, determination. Whether it's basketball, whether it's the photography that started as a, a hobby, a passion yeah. that turned into something more. Your determination—you um, know—I commend you for that. That's that's really remarkable. So you so you end up getting. The scholarship, yeah, and and then the New York Times, yeah. At the, I did a combined study at the at the International Center of Photography. So I did one year of documentary studies, and then I did a two year MFA program after that, which is a really unique combination of studies. They 
oppose each other in thought in a lot of ways. So after the first year um, of documentary studies work that I had done, I got I got some kind of award, and then um, someone connected me to the New York Times, and they suggested that they take me as an intern, um, and so I did that in between my studies and then would do some freelance work for them, but I traveled and I started out doing stuff all around the city, but I did, um, I went out west, I pitched a 8 by 10 large format project to them, so I traveled out west for a few weeks by myself completing that project. And had a lot of amazing experiences with it. But for me it went too fast. The I, I didn't enjoy the the quickness of it. You know, I wanted to spend more time on subjects or with subjects and I felt like I had more to express than what I was doing within that context of shooting for the New York Times. So was that the the demand of the job itself? So you, you had to do this job and then get on to the next? Yeah. You know, and, it, and they're all great. You know, sure. it's, you're in New York doing really amazing things. You'll be on top of buildings with people living on top of buildings one day, and then you're at a concert the next, or, and, you know, in the middle of a baseball stadium the next. Or, so, beautiful experience to see and experience the, the colors of New York. But I wanted to go deeper with things, um, and that wasn't the avenue that I felt like I was being able to express everything that I wanted or, um, ultimately. So I, it wasn't a, wasn't something that I ended up wanting to do long term. I see. Yeah. So was that the point where you took on this project uh, in Columbus Square? Um, yeah. I When I graduated with the MFA degree, um, one of my teachers, Josh Lutz, he introduced me to a friend of his who was the broker of uh, the space on Central Park West that had sat empty for two and a half years. Um, and it used to be a Gristidi's, a grocery store. So it was 3,000 square feet ground floor with 125 feet of window wrapping the corner and 2,000 square feet downstairs that I ended up unburying basically. I was buried in rubble at the time. Um, but I put a proposal together to the broker after I met him to activate the space. This is one of the nicest locations in, in New York City. I mean, it was, there's only two retail spaces on Central Park West. Um, they're both on that block and there won't no more will be allowed to be there. Um, and it was just a, a couple blocks from, it was at 62nd. Uh, so it was, you know, right, uh, 15 CPW was the next door neighbors and I was in 25 CPW. Um, and I put a proposal together to activate the space and turn it into a gallery cultural event space. Um, and that if they leased it out for its value, which was fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars a month, <laughs> wow, um, that I'd be out of there. But in the meantime, I would create 
let people see what potential for for them for the the perk for the for the owner of the space I, they had they had paper on these windows you know and the place was kind of a mess inside so i activated it and got life into it so people could see what it could be you know um they ended up saying yes to that idea and i had put in part of the terms that with if you lease it out i'll be gone in 30 days and you don't have to worry about me i'll take care of everything and make it nice um that that ended up lasting almost 5 years and i had over 220 events and opened a separate gallery downstairs after a couple of years and it was great um it was amazing i mean i i don't know if i'll ever fully digest that one <laughs> that was crazy sounds it yeah. that's remarkable so uh now when did you start to embark on your music career? Was um, it right about this time that the lease is ending or that the new tenant came in? No, it came uh, a little bit before that because I was I came up from the city to go to the Grassroots Music Festival and I got out of the car and I heard from Binghamton, New York being announced, Driftwood. I was like, Binghamton? Awesome. And I like ran over with my friends and it's like, this band's great. I love these guys. Who are these guys? And um, ended up eventually meeting them later that summer. And we really all got along great. Um, and I started to, I invited them down to the city to play uh, a show at the gallery. Um, and I started to go on tours with them as their photographer and I did a blog for the paper mm -hmm. here to help them out and just some kind of fun things to be involved yeah so I went on like four four trips with them that were a couple couple weeks long each over a year and on on one of those trips towards the end there I started to pick up the upright bass and they were very encouraging about it and that was while I was that was probably the last year and a half, two years of the gallery was when that relationship started. So by the time, by the time the gallery closed, I was already playing music and off into music. Wow. So it had, that felt right for me because I knew that the gallery wasn't going to last forever. I made a, I made a decision to not make that my to not make that my goal, to try to hold on to something that it was beautiful while it existed mm -hmm. and I wanted to make the most out of that not knowing when it would end mm -hmm. and I honored that very much. But it was time when it happened and I had already evolved in terms of what my passion was and I was very excited to push full into music and be able to then go out and explore fully my relationship with music instead of doing it but having to go open a show or close a show or get a show up or you know sure or host an event um now I could be free to play music so so are you self-taught yeah but I've had around a lot of musicians so right people always sit 
The musicians in this community have been amazing to me, and I would not be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for them. I mean, uh, Claire Byrne and, and Jackie Colombo uh, are two of my dearest friends, and they literally said, buy a bass and you'll be in Milkweed. I mean, I hadn't played. And the, I'm like, okay. So when, when people you respect believe in you to just say something like that, that made me believe in myself and, and, and want to do everything I could, not for them, but be, for myself, because sure. they, but for them to believe in me like that, and that gave me this extra fuel inside that I actually could do this. Like, wow, yeah, get a base. That's right. <laughs> um, and it's it is it's really special the the music community here. I'm, um, there is not competition, which I think you go to a lot of cities and you feel that here. I feel people really want to help each other, and I really do mean that. I mean, I'm sure there's some things, it's a big community, but I really feel that the community of musicians here sees that we have something special, um, that we're all working really hard trying to go out and represent Binghamton in different places and um, help each other get to the next step by whatever we might be able to do to help do that. You and know? it's genuine. Totally. Equipment, ideas, playing, sharing gigs, getting places, recording each other, hooking people up with different things. It's a, it, it's beautiful, and I wouldn't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine having grown to become a musician like I am now over this last, over these last years. I have to say that is due to living here that's enabled that growth. I can't imagine having a, a better circumstance in another place. I just can't. For where I'm at and what, I really can't. I'm so grateful. It's pretty amazing. Talk about vulnerability. What does that mean to you? And you put yourself out there. How vulnerable should I be in saying, in talking about it? Um, I think it's, I think it's essential. Um, I think that that's where, when I'm most vulnerable is where I find the most growth for myself. Um, and I sort of peek into, uh, maybe locked doors or closed doors with myself that I'm not really sure what what's there because it might be tucked away a little bit but it tends to be that when I do open up I find something that leaves me in awe about myself magical yeah and I don't mean that in the um, I don't mean that in a in a a great thing necessarily but something that I didn't understand before or I didn't I learned 
or and it and I find it then I can go out and experience more things with a better understanding of myself and I mean I guess I like the idea of continuing to grow as much as possible that feels like a fulfilling fulfilling life for me to continue to grow and not stagnate so in that sense the last thing I would want is is to not be vulnerable because of the risk of being hurt when you're vulnerable um, and I don't plan on stopping being vulnerable so what does music do to you inside I feel I feel grounded when I play music um, I feel that the mystery of things and the complexity of the things that I don't understand that I don't necessarily have words for. Um, when I play music, I can create a world that has elements of that, but also something soothing and comforting about kind of creating a womb that is acknowledging it and also flowing with it and not fighting it. Um, and when I play, it reminds me to do that because I naturally go into that space. I find that comfort there. So. And I, I had the chance to go out and see you play last week, and I think I could relate to what you're talking about because you were really, they talk about in the zone on a basketball court, yeah. you were really in a zone on the stage. Yeah, I'm really comfortable when I can create that wound. And I, I've noticed one of the challenges in starting to do it, to play music out. It's like, why am I playing music out? You know, why is this really what I want to do? But being able to create that space in any situation meaning it could be starting at midnight in a bar where a bunch of drunks are screaming and 10 TVs are on or it could be in a theater of a listening room crowd but having it be the same performance and how I feel inside and that's been consistent so that validates for me what it's about and why I'm doing it, you know. Do you think that's something that you have instinctively or is that something you developed? Where does that come from? As far as playing the music? No, the, f the feeling of that womb in... in being in that zone. I think that's always I think I've found that in playing basketball in one way if I look at it 
and how it translates in my life. That was present in basketball, that was present in photography, that was present in the curatorial work in the gallery. Um, I guess that's me wanting to process and absorb and express my experience or having a strong desire to do that. I mean, that that's poorly said. Maybe that's something I'm not really sure. I'm not sure where that comes from, but that's what I believe in following. Intuition, what the the core of me is guiding me to do that. And, and it always feels right for me to stay centered and, and grounded inside. Finding, finding a consistent space for myself buried between everything else throughout the chaos of whatever might be going on in positive ways or negative ways having that be consistent okay are there any practices that you've developed things you do on a daily basis to prepare um anything that um, helps you get to that place? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, no. I don't think that I have um, I at different points in my life, I think I've had different things. I did, you know, for many years I was uh, doing yoga a lot and meditation. I haven't done that in quite a long time. Be something I'd like to do again. Um, but I don't necessarily have a daily a daily practice. I've had different things over different times that, that remind me. Um, I recently started running again, um, just last week. Great. I go, I've been, I go to the gym a lot, but because of all the knee surgeries in my back and I had, I was really addicted to running. It's not really the best thing. So, but it's been years since I really pounded my legs like that and it felt great. <laughs> it reminded me of so much. Um, and so I don't necessarily have a daily practice, but there are a lot of things that remind me about different spaces to approach living and that trigger th reminders for me. Running is one of those things for sure. Mm -hmm. Something about your, how deep the heart is beating and how, um, how overwhelmed my body felt to want to stop um, and running up a hill. It's a really strong metaphor in, in living, you know? So when, you, when you're running up a hill and you feel that, that push and you get through something like that, it's, it's a nice confidence reminder 
and that you can you know push through certain things but there's also opposite thoughts about pushing through that maybe be good to go for a run and meditate so you're not I can be one that can push push through a brick wall that might not always be the best thing right. <laughs> do you think the yoga the meditation the hard work that you put in in, in your in your basketball preparation um, do you think in some ways that surfaces daily so maybe you're not even thinking about things and you're just doing them naturally because of those practices I think so um, I think I set my life up in a way to keep it most focused to stay in the space that I want to stay in so I make choices to do that the best I can and I uh, surrounding myself with wonderful people that understand who I am and and care about me and make me laugh and um, that's the biggest thing um, and I'm really fortunate with that to have people that I really love and feel a lot of love from different people that I feel good about I don't I don't have the most traditional I'm a 38 year old woman I'm wearing a hat <laughs> I you know I see my my best girls kids and I'm the craziest aunt you know like what am I doing but I'm really happy doing what I'm doing it and and the people around me love that I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing and and that makes me feel good that they understand who I am and they might be very different from me but respect who I am and um, it that liberates me even more because I don't feel like I've come across a lot of harsh judgment or because there is that for a lot of people sure you know I've been real fortunate in the sense that people have been very supportive for some of the crazy ideas that I've had. This is what I'm going to do now. Right. Um, right. But um, and not that I would listen to naysayers anyway. But it's nice to not. People are supportive, you know. Sure. My parents have always been ones to bring us up to follow what our what our heart is, you know, and to follow our dreams of whatever variations they might be for us um, yeah I think the support group is extremely important in anyone's extremely world. important yeah that you have people there that understand and that you don't have to waste waste time and energy to justify what your heart is right um, and that happens a lot Sure. Everywhere. It does. So I'm I'm in a different case, you know. I've had circumstances where that hasn't been the case, but the over the overwhelming picture for me is that I've been given a lot of support that I'm blown away by and a lot of respect and um for carving carving whatever path I am out, you know. So have you had to uh, rid, um, you know, I, 
maybe it's cliche, but you hear people saying just get rid of the negativity, you know, whether it's a, a negative friend or people that just talk to bring you down. Are you able to... Um, I've handled that differently in different circumstances in my life. Um, I think... I think when it comes to matters of acquaintances that introduce something negative, I've been pretty good to... That's not really good for me. Take a step back without any negative at negativity being thrown back at them. But you know what? This mm -hmm. doesn't feel really right. Different direction. When it comes to matters of the heart, as opposed to acquaintances, um, I think I've had the experience in my life that difficulty accepting some of that in the sense that accepting that it's true and negative and wanting to, wanting to do what I can to help change that circumstance mm -hmm. and giving parts of myself to to try to make something better um, and I think in times that that is good and I think in other times it's not always the healthiest thing for a person. So, um, and sometimes it's out of our control, right? Yeah, you can't always do you can't always do something. Uh, can't change other people's negativity, although you know sometimes you can, but you can't. Sometimes you can be a positive influence, and other because you've you know I've experienced it where people are positive influences on me and help change certain things I think about. Um, but that's not everyone's circumstance, you know? So let's talk about the creative writing process of music. Now, you write your own music? Yeah. And um, I, I've always been fascinated. I'm, I'm a writer, so I'm, I've always been fascinated with music writing in particular. I like to write poetry, um, and I have done so, you know, for a long time. But it just, you know, it's so poetic. You're an artist uh, in many ways. Uh, was this a new learning for you to write music? Yeah, never. Um, although my brother did send me a text the other day that said it was quoting. I had written this song when I was a little little girl. And it was catchy. He remembered the words. He like texted to me, um, but I was really small. It was kind of a it was a, a joke, you know. But don't sell yourself short because sometimes these things start when we're infants and are inside of us. Right. So do you feel in some ways that it's been in you that you've this was a natural ability to be able to to write songs? Um. No. Um, I guess that might be relative. I don't... I always wrote obsessively 
um, I have about 25 journals of like nonstop okay. writing that started when I was in third grade. Um, and those journals stopped um, when I, towards the end of when photography started to become something else, I was writing and taking photos, but the writing started to become less and less. And then when I started playing music and writing music, I don't write in journals anymore, I just create songs. Um, and it's a different way. The, the journals were about expressing and having a conversation with myself. Um, this is combining sounds and rhythm and lyrics to communicate with others something. Um, so it's a very different <laughs> process in me writing in my journals. Um, but the thinking about words and the rhythm of words, I've, I've thought about that over time because I've spent a lot of time around writing in general. Mm -hmm. um, I find writing music to be complex process and that there's a lot of elements that you're mixing together but it's also really simple when it goes right um, and you can really feel it when it feels right for me at least when I feel like it ends up being in the, the right place it, I can tell and it takes me time to get there with a song. That's not, doesn't mean it comes out. You know, this is just my personal picture of the song. Um, and you asked me at an interesting time because right now I've been writing a lot of new material since coming out with the first, since coming out with the live album. I've been writing a lot of material and really excited about the sound and I can feel a lot of growth with where I'm going, but I'm not really sure what a lot of these songs are actually about lyrically yet. I can feel it, but I don't have words for it yet. And I remember when those songs felt that way. Um, it's sort of matching an emotion of where I'm building melodies and texture of sounds on each other and then and layering words onto that comes from ref reflecting on what mood and what what piece of my spirit that song is actually kind of coming from when it when it comes out as far as chord progression and rhythm is this a real driving tune does it make me feel this what is it really tapping into with with me um that's because i enjoy writing music from my own personal experience and my own fabric not every musician is that way, mm -hmm. um, but when I'm writing music, it is very much that way. So it is, I'm trying to be as authentic about expressing something for myself that uh, I feel is important or resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, so it is an interesting time now, because I've got this, I've had a, a little bit of some mm, wait, I'm waiting almost 
for myself to just that ends up happening a lot of times you can't I can't really force it and then it it comes and I trust that to happen enough that it'll be there it's not which is what part of the reason that I love it so much test me on my patience right sure (laughs) I can see that so is it because you're obviously busy you're you're constantly working um but can you give us an example I mean are you are you home and you're it's quiet space and you're just thinking are you strumming I mean how does how do the words start to happen um a lot of times when I sit down at, at home and in my room I'll be playing the guitar and if I start to play a melody um, or a chord progression on the guitar say I'll be I'll start to sing a melody over it and just kind of feels natural um, I just moving my f- I don't necessarily even know the chords I'm playing I'm not a music theory person so I might move the capo around and move my fingers around not know but what feels either beautiful or moving or um, feels like it's rising and something up in me then I continue doing that feel a melody goes over it pretty naturally just whatever comes out and as I keep doing that usually a couple words will come out Um, and even though I don't sit down and write the whole song that point usually later on those words will be there they're, they're kind of uh, stake markers for it and that kind of just comes out naturally and I'm not sure then what the, the whole song might be about yet but I know I have that little nugget that I can't let go of for some reason um, and then I usually end up building the song and I, I play it in my car a lot um, now with technology I record songs on my iPhone and I go into the car and I just play them and then that's the best time so when I go on trips to go play a gig, I'm listening to tracks of, and singing things over it. And I like that. I like being on the road, working on lyrics, windows open. Um, that feels good. And yeah. A lot of, yeah, that feels like a nice way to like, and then I build them in time, you know. And are you jotting down your oh, yeah. lyrics as, as you go. Yeah, and there's it also happens in, in the reverse where I am where I have a conversation with some somebody or a phrase comes to mind and it sticks out as something that that's a really eloquent way to say that. I don't want to forget that. And I'll write it down. But often and so I have no notebooks of that. But I really don't go back to that. It's like I tell myself I'll go back there, but I really now just kind of have a, a couple notebooks of that stuff. Um, I usually don't go back to those, but maybe maybe one day I will. You know? So just to finish up on the writing of, say, a particular song, at some point you're really in the rhythm of it. You're you're figuring out the lyrics, the the melody, etc. Um, and then, when it's done, is it as they say, you know, it's complete. Yeah, and there are songs out right now that I'll pl- I'm playing out, and I know they're not done. 
I know there's things that aren't right about it, um, but I'm, I haven't recorded them yet. Maybe I'll play it one night a little differently or change a verse mm-hmm. one night to see how it feels. And then there are other songs I know they're done. Those songs, they're done Blindside Live, those are done for me. You know? um, so I'm. it's fun to have, have songs in different places and I can um, reshape songs in one way and and build new ones at the same and during the same day, you know. So it's um, it keeps it interesting, for sure. <laughs> so where are you wanting to take your music career? Do you know? No, um, I want to keep love loving what I'm doing. And right now I'm in a fortunate situation where I can I'm able to pay my rent doing what I love to do and meet a lot of people and I'm growing and traveling a bit and. Um, I want to keep being, keep feeling excited about it. Um, and I know from experiences that life changes and, and things happen and I'm not really one to plan. Some things I guess you really can't plan for. And, um, so I just want to stay present and, and spend as much time as I can getting to do what I feel I'm really lucky to do um, right now while I can. That's great. Yeah. So is there something about you intriguing that maybe your closest friends and family don't know? They don't know? I don't. I don't think so. They might be able to tell you something about me that I don't know. (laughs) I don't think so. I wouldn't call it, if there's something like that, I wouldn't call it all that intriguing. I don't know. Maybe that's it. So, Mickey Greenberg, your dad, uh, has a stellar reputation. Yeah. uh, Wonderful coach fantastic player I understand he still has a great shot um, tell us about your relationship is is are you uh, daddy's girl yeah totally adore him he knows it everyone knows that yeah I have a 15 year old daughter and obviously that's a special bond between a father and a daughter but um, you guys are super close because of the basketball so yeah. Tell us more about that, about the relationship. Um, I think the thing about my dad, um, is that he brings a an, an unknowing magic to things. Um, I think a lot of people do things consciously, and you can feel their conscious energy on. Um, on wanting to take a certain effect there's something about my father um, that I find to be really innocent and very genuine genuinely innocent Um, he really loves people and he really loves people it doesn't get more complicated than that so because that love is genuine, to see the way that growing up, to see how he has a natural 
way to put a spark of light in so many people's eyes. And he doesn't know that he doesn't know that he does that, you know, um, because he just is enjoying that the person, you know, it's like, and, um, but I know because I see how standing next to him, I see how he makes people's eyes light up and, and shine and genuinely makes people feel good. Um, and that is, that's a, a real gift that I'm amazed by. Him. Um, and you know, I don't, I've talked, I've talked to my mother about this quality of, of my father. You know, it's a very, uh, he, he's retained some kind of childlike, genuine approach, um, despite also having a hardship and experiencing loss. And, um, you know, that might be easy to do when you don't, don't experience hardship and loss, but um, once you do, it's easy to get a little jaded or think about yourself a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, me, 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 and my pain and my pain. Um, pretty much everyone does that. Sure. <laughs> um, somehow my father doesn't, seem to to do that in the same way as other people to me um and you know maybe i'm star starstruck daddy's little girl but um it's a it's a really strong quality and i don't know i don't know anyone else who has has that sort of quality like him and I, again i'm his daughter so i see it in certain ways you know but uh I feel extremely fortunate to have a father that loves life so much. He really loves life so much. Great quality. And <laughs> yeah. he's the guy that I see driving the ball to the hole, <laughs> getting knocked down, and then getting right back up. Yeah, yeah. No matter if he's 5'11 or not. Yeah, he's a scrapper. So, um, obviously that's had a strong effect on you. And yeah. uh, do you feel... That's some of that's rubbed off to you and your brothers. That qual those qualities. I hope so, but I mean, like he's one of a, he's one of a kind, you know. Um, the I think that in in growing up, my parents really made a decision to have kids be all about that family, like this the. They really, they weren't sure, they weren't unsure if, about how they wanted to raise their kids and whether or not they wanted to do that and do that together. I mean, they came from very different backgrounds, found a deep love with each other, and that's what they wanted to do. And they did it as number one priority. And as their children, we feel that. Um, and they've left us... At this point, now that we're grown adults, even though I was just joking with my dad the other day that somehow he talks to me a lot, like worries about me, like I'm still a 13 year old girl. Sure, sure. Um, but they let you know they they brought us up to be independent and and loving individuals that supported each other and 
Um, we are that. We really love each other a lot and support each other, but are also very independent from each other at the same time. So, um, very, I'm very grateful and fortunate for my family. They've been, they've been amazing. No, it's uh, it's really a remarkable story, and um, so look, Bess, this has been just tremendous. Uh, you are, I would say, an extremely talented person. Not even musician. Okay, you're you're talented in whatever you do. I could see that, and uh, honored to to meet you and have you here today. Um, but before we let you go, I know you're gonna perform a song for us so we, we really appreciate that we can't wait to, to hear um, but what what advice would you give the 25 the 20 year old Bess if you could go back in time I'm actually doing some of the opposite right now in a certain way I've actually been revisiting some of my old journals to remind myself of things that were more obvious to me or came first to me in thought in the past that I think were were good and healthy for me and um, to remind myself of those things that I felt when I was 25 now that I'm 38 so I'm actually looking for advice from my 25 year old self if that makes sense <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> it's true <laughs> that's awesome well thanks so much this has been wonderful we can't wait to hear you play thanks Roger and um, good luck in Syracuse tonight thank you can't wait much. to hear you again thanks for having me Beneath my skin, 